Right, Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 through 43. And it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, Appoint me thy wages, and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming, and now when, I shall, when shall I provide for mine own house also? And he said, What shall I give thee? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all the flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and brown among the sheep, they shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would it be according to thy word. And he removed that day he, the he-goats that were mis-ring-straked and spotted, and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he set three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. And Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and peeled white streaks in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle ring straked, speckled and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the face of the flocks towards the ringstrake and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not unto Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feeble were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly, and had much cattle, and maidservants, and men servants, and camels, and asses. And thus is the reading of God's word. And all his children said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your word unto us, that we might behold the works of Christ, the things that he hath done to secure a people for himself, the ransom he hath paid, and all that he hath done to bring us unto glory with him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you can tell by my prayer what I want to cover today. I'm going to pick through this section. We've covered it before, speaking about um, Jacob and um, as a type of, of you and me, as a type of a person called by God and a person that is... Uh, 
um, being drawn to God and how they go through a spiritual walk. We go through spiritual periods in our life unaware of the work God is doing in us as he is drawing him to himself. And so we looked at a portion of Jacob's life. But now we're going to look at Jacob as a type of Christ and um, pull from different sections of the Bible to help us appreciate the things that the Lord has done. Um, one of the things I appreciate that the Bible does with respect to setting um, certain spiritual truths before us is he uses all sorts of um, people to teach us about himself. Um, if you've ever seen an off-Broadway play like this, um, what you'll see is there'll be multiple acts in the play, but the same actor plays every part in the play, but there are differences in the scene, so he runs off stage or she runs off stage, changes costume, runs back in. Same person plays a different part, and so um, God does something similar to that, except for he will play all the parts in the same scene. If you've seen the movie Dr. Strangelove, you'll recall that Peter Sellers plays three different roles at the same time, in the same scene, and with respect to what's going on in the movie. And they can do that because they have the benefit of um, editing the film so that they can shoot Peter Sellers in one setting, one costume, and then turn the camera and shoot him in another one. So in your mind, he's in the same room, all these different characters. And so God does the same thing for us in Genesis. Christ is ever the object of our appreciation. He has the preeminence in all things, and he's set before us all over the place in this section of uh, Genesis. Um, if you look by way of example at Leviticus chapter 16, you can appreciate that not only does God use different people to represent Christ, but he used different animals to represent him, including the costume of the uh, high priest. And everything that takes place in there speaks of what uh, Christ does and who he is. We've got the high priest in Leviticus 16, you've got the fit man, you've got two goats, two kids of the goats, you got a ram, a bullock, you have a censer full of burning coals, a laver, an altar, the mercy seat, various articles of clothing, the tabernacle itself, and the holiest of holies, all of which teach us something about Christ and what things he has done on our behalf and who he is in terms of his righteousness and holiness. Um, Jesus reminds us of this in the um, Gospel of John in uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 39. And verse 40, when he says, Search the scripture, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So he's telling the people he's speaking to that, you know, you're looking in here for a rule book to follow and think you can jump through some hoops here to um, garner the favor of God and acquire self-righteousness, but I'm telling you, you're not. It's talking about me and who I am and what things that I have done to secure righteousness for uh, men. And then he sadly says in verse 40, and you would not come to me that you might have eternal life. So I'm standing right in front of you. I'm telling you that the whole Bible speaks of me. And that's what you need to pay attention to. All this, Everywhere in Scripture you can find the gospel. And as you recall, the word gospel means good spell or good news. It's always about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It tells us about who he is. tells us about what things he did. And it also tells us about who he did it for, who he did it for. A lot of people leave that part off of it and tell us who he did it for and why he did that. So if you look at Luke chapter 24, there's a couple things that we can appreciate uh, here. Uh, this is the occasion. It's after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, a couple of the disciples are walking on a road to Emmaus. 
And Jesus joins them on this walk. And so he speaks to them and starts talking to them about what things he has done. And they don't understand it. In verse 25, the Lord says to them, and then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to entered into his glory? The answer is yes. Verse 27, he says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when we read that, we tend to think, well, maybe it's just the law of Moses and not actually beginning with Genesis 1.1, which is really what he says here, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He's ascribing uh, the office of prophet to Moses. And so um, he wrote everything from Genesis to Deuteronomy, inclusive. So all of those things, Moses wrote, and all of those things are going to uh, teach about Christ. In verse 44, Jesus comes later and he says to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he, now he bumps it up to include the, these Psalms as well. But again, I would say the entire Bible speaks of Christ from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 20. 221 is it or 2321 the whole bible speaks about him and so when we consider these things we consider that um, he's speaking in the context of the cross because he's speaking about his suffering and his glorification um, where do we first find the cross in the bible well it's clearly seen in genesis chapter 2 verse 17 through 24 where the lord speaks about how uh, when adam eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he will surely die. And the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. That's verse 17. And then in verse 21, he uh, makes a deep sleep come upon Adam, whereby he creates Eve, the woman. Adam represents Christ, of course, and Eve represents the church. And if there's any question about that, the Lord tells us that in Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Speaking of Adam, he says that he is a figure or a type of him that is to come. So Adam's a type of Christ. So what things are set forth in Genesis represent the work of Christ. However, in Genesis chapter 1, if you were with us when we went through that, there are allusions to the cross as well. So we should appreciate that all the scriptures, beginning with Moses in Genesis 1-1, teach us things about Christ. Now, this is something we should appreciate, that teaching someone about Christ and that person learning about Christ are two different things. Teaching somebody and them receiving the instruction and learning about Christ are two different things. In verse 31 and 32, back in Luke chapter 24, um, verse 31 and 32, we read that after the Lord had walked with them and then he had taken bread and blessed it and broke it with them, in verse 31 we read, and their eyes were opened, not they opened their eyes, their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. In verse 32, they continue, it says, And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he, quote, opened to us the scriptures. He opened to us the scriptures. So we appreciate that the opening of the scriptures, the, the fact that they could apprehend or understand anything, was really due to the work of Christ. And the Lord makes that point again over in verse 45, again of Luke 24. 
after he shared with them that all things must be fulfilled, which were written of him, he then in verse 45 says, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So he opened their understanding. He had been teaching them for three and a half years, and there he was standing right next to them explaining things, and they're not understanding it. They don't get it. I mean, they ask him, hey, don't you understand what's happened here these last three, uh, these last three days about the crucifixion of Christ? And he's like, yes, I do. I'm, I'm the one, and they don't get it. But again, that's where we are in terms of spiritual blindness, unless the Lord opens it unto us. And this would include also regenerated people. We certainly know that unregenerated people are blind, but regenerated people must come to Christ too, pray that he will open the word to them, and so that they may understand it. And that's something that I have to do every time I want to prepare a message. If I don't do that, I feel like um, I'm somewhat blind to what I want to apprehend and understand. I can't communicate it because I don't understand it myself. I have to come to the Lord and ask him to open his word. And I know you can appreciate that in your own walk, how you have a better understanding today of the word than you used to have because you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that comes by spending time in prayer and coming before the throne of grace. So you can read the scriptures, the Bible, all day long. You can sit under the uh, preaching and teaching of Christ himself as the disciples did and you can learn absolutely nothing until Christ opens our understanding. Now, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, the Lord makes this point about as clear as can be made. In Matthew 11, 25 and 26, we read, At that time Jesus answered and said, quote, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So what do we read in here? God is the one who hides the word, who hides the uh, knowledge of himself, who hides these spiritual truths. He's the one who hides it, and he's the one who reveals it, and he has declared that it is good in his sight to do that very thing. So you'll oftentimes be talking to people and they will be trying to disparage the Word of God and disparage His grace. And they'll say, well, how come, you know, what happened with the Indians? Well, God did not send a preacher to them. God did not open their eyes, you know, before a certain time until He did send a preacher to them. And when He preached to the Indians, some of them understood because God opened their eyes, but to others was the Word hidden. And that has been the way it has been ever since Genesis 1-1. Some people understand because God has opened the word to them. Some people don't understand. The word might not have even been preached to them. It's been hid. Uh, but some he has preached to, and the word is still hid from them because he has not opened their understanding. This is a very proactive process. I want you to appreciate that it's proactive. He has hid it, he has opened it to some, and he has declared it to be good in his sight. Now. The Lord expands this spiritual truth. He turned over another page to Matthew chapter 13, and I'll read um, verses 10 through 16. Matthew 13, 10 through 16. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? The Lord always taught with parables. Some people say he taught with parables because they were an agrarian society and they could understand it, and quite the opposite is true. They might have been an agrarian society, but he spoke that way so they wouldn't understand it. Verse 11, he answered and said unto them, 
because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So we see here, same thing in Matthew 11, to some people their opening is understood, to some people it's hid. Some it's given to know, given to know, some it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and to him, and he shall have more abundance. But whomsoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Now, let's just do a quick time out here. The disciples don't appreciate it, but that's the position they're in. <laughs> they think they're hearing and, and hearing and understanding, and they think they're seeing and uh, beholding Christ, but they're not. It's not until he, they receive the Spirit in John, I think it's chapter uh, maybe 19 or 20, when he gives them the Spirit, then their eyes are open. And we see them on the road to Emmaus, and they don't understand until he opens their understanding. So I just want us to appreciate that the Lord is sharing with them uh, a fact that they are actually still spiritually blind, even though they don't know it. Verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. So this is not a new idea he's teaching. He's telling us that it comes back from uh, Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, which of course the Lord is the author of. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes, they, they, here we have the responsibility of man set up uh, in uh, tension with the um, sovereignty of God, their eyes, they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. God must open their eyes, and he must open your ears, so that you can see and hear. He is the one who made the seeing eye and the hearing ear, both physically and certainly spiritually. So then, so what I'm sharing with us here is, again, the Lord is telling us that some people, these truths are hidden, and some people they are revealed to, and he is the agency by which that takes place. So it's given some to know, and more is given to them as they understand, and I hope we can appreciate how we have grown in the knowledge of Christ. Uh, however, it's not given to others. And in the case of the Jews, where they had this witness set before them their whole uh, life, more shall be taken away from them. They were the um, custodians of the oracles of God and should have understood these things that were so clearly set before them, but hidden from them, and they indeed close their eyes. Um, now, having these simple lessons set before us, we can appreciate that God is not going to save everyone. The gospel is hid from some people, and it is revealed to other people, and it is through the preaching of the gospel, um, the truth, which is applied by God to the hearts of individuals so that certain people might believe unto salvation and have eternal life. Now, those that have heard the gospel and believe must count it a blessing and a miracle and the grace of God um, that they do so. It comes from God Almighty that people are regenerated through the preaching of the gospel that he would quicken our darkened hearts and shine in them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is a blessing. That he would open our understanding that we might see and know Christ in a salvific sense 
is a miracle indeed. Now, Lord willing, we're going to see these spiritual truths back in Genesis chapter 29 and chapter 30. And so this has all really been just a preamble, taking from some of the simple things that the Lord has said, so that when I apply them to Genesis chapter 29 and 30, you're not going to think I'm just pulling this out of nowhere, but it's consistent with what we find everywhere else in the um, scripture. Um, I want us to see this morning that Jacob is a type of Christ from the verses I'm going to pull from. And as I said before, a couple of weeks, we saw him as an unrepentant and unregenerated man with whom God was working as he does all the people he chooses unto salvation. So this week, we'll see him as a type of Christ, ever the servant, building the church and strengthening his sheep through the preaching of the gospel. So this scene, first scene, opens for us in Genesis chapter 29. Now, we've read this a number of times, so I'm not going to read it again this morning. But in Genesis chapter 29, I want us to appreciate that this scene opens with Jacob coming to the well. Verse 1, Then Jacob went on his journey and came unto the land of the people of the east. Of the east. Verse 2, And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. So if you read through this section all the way up to verse 10, um, you will find that the word mouth appears five times. Now that's an interesting thing to call the, um, the opening of a well upon which this rock sets. It is said to be a mouth. So the Lord helps us to appreciate what that means if we look at some of the Proverbs. In Proverbs 18.4, we read, The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. So the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, as the wellspring of wisdom. So those words come out of a man's mouth, out from a deep wellspring. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 the Lord says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So we're getting this again. What is it that comes out of the Lord's mouth? Wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Now, in Luke chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the mouth of the Lord comes wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in what? Well, in himself. Our deacon read for us this morning, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through 19, where we see in there, and also in chapter 4, we see the personification of wisdom. Christ himself is wisdom. In verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Well, where is he going to get wisdom and understanding from? He's going to get it from the mouth of the Lord. Down in verse 18, it speaks of wisdom. It says, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. Well, what do we know about the tree of life? That was in the Garden of Eden, from whence, if Adam continued to eat from it, he would have eternal life. 
And of course, because of his sin, he was separated from it. But now as somebody who's regenerated, we should all be feeding from the tree of life, feeding wisdom, which comes from the heart of God out through his mouth um, and by which we would have eternal life. Now, Proverbs chapter 4, which he, again he read for us. Um, again, it's the personification of wisdom in verses uh, 3 through 13. I'm not going to read those uh, again. There was one verse actually I did want to read. Um, in verse 19, actually, in chapter 3 of Proverbs, it says, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding he hath established the heavens. We know that all things were created by Christ. Without him was not anything created that was created. By him was the world founded. He is the one, so wisdom is uh, directly related to him. He himself is the personification of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 tells us that Jesus Christ is made unto us by God wisdom. So wisdom is not some ethereal thing. Wisdom is a person, and wisdom is Christ himself. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, we read, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So we should appreciate that Jacob here, in Genesis 29, he is the one who rolls the great stone from the well's mouth, and he waters what? He waters only Laban's flock. He's not watering those other three flocks that are there. We are told when he arrives, there are three flocks waiting to be watered by someone. It's a, they're not identified. It's a they, so it's a plural. But he's the one. He comes, and he waters only the flock of Laban. He draws the water out, and he, um, after having removed the great stone from the well's mouth. Um, in verse 8 is where it tells that there are uh, some other people that roll a great stone from the mouth, but they have not arrived. Um, after they do that, then those shepherds water their own flocks. But Jacob here, again, as a type of Christ, acts like he owns the well, gets there and removes the great stone. And we appreciate also that as soon as he identifies his brother's flock, I'm using that language because that's the language the Bible uses. That's in verse 15. He's identified as Laban's brother. And in verse 14, he's identified as bone and my bone and my flesh. So he's, there's a relationship there that, is, um, that the Bible is sharing with us. It's very close between Laban and Jacob. He waters the flock and only his flock. And this, of course, Christ does to us using similar language. In Hebrews 2.11, we are said to be his brothers. He waters his brother's flock. He is our brother. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, Christ speaks of us. We are said to be of his flesh and of his bones. That's parallel language to what we're reading here in Genesis chapter 29 with respect to Jacob and Laban. And that's the only flock that he waters. And in like manner, Christ, our brother, and Christ of whom we are his flesh and his bone, waters us. Now, you see this language about the mouth in other places in the scripture. You'll recall the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord goes up to dispense wisdom and knowledge about the kingdom of heaven. It starts in verse 2 and it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying everything that follows. You'll see that in other places in scripture where it talks about um, somebody. I think it's used in the case of Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And he opened his mouth. Because out of your mouth, again, comes the treasures of your heart. 
So Christ opens the mouth of the wellspring of the treasures of his heart, teaching his sheep and teaching his disciples wisdom and knowledge and understanding about him that we might believe on him and grow in him and therefore have eternal life in him. So now when we jump over to Genesis chapter 30 and 31, we're going to see, again, um, the same truth taught in different ways. Um, In those two chapters, God sets before us the methodology by which Jacob gets glory. You'll find that in verse uh, 1 of chapter 31. And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. So through this process of um, animal husbandry, Jacob is getting glory. Glory is transferring from one person to another. Um, And God sets before us the methodology um, that this takes place um, when the flocks are taken away from Laban and given to um, Jacob because we read about that he has a dream given to him from God about which of the livestock would be stronger and what their markings would be. That's in uh, verses 10 through 12 of Genesis 31. Genesis 31, 10 through 12. And it came to pass at that time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. So we can appreciate, as we read this, that God gave Jacob a dream about which of the livestock would be stronger and what their markings would be. In other words, Jacob, who is a type of Christ, saw what sheep God would give him. Jacob saw what sheep God was going to give him. And as surely as Jesus says in John 6:37, all that my Father giveth to me shall come to me, so did Jacob understand what the wages of his service would be. It would be those sheep and goats that God appointed for him. In Genesis 30, 32, we appreciate that that would be all of those whom God revealed to him in a dream. And it didn't matter that Laban would change his wages ten times. doesn't matter what Laban has to say about which sheep and goats will be his. We know that in verse 42 of Genesis 31 that God was assuredly with him, was with Jacob, as assuredly as we know that God was with Christ. Jacob, as Christ, bore the burden of the flock. We learn about that in Genesis, I think, 31. Or further. Um, and, virt- and by virtue of what Jacob sets before the eyes of his flock under his care, he's setting something before their eyes. That's verse 41 of Genesis chapter 30. When they came and drank from the troughs, we see that the sheep conceived which is to say that they had the newness of life within them and they grew in strength, which is what the Lord says we should do respecting our own walk. In Galatians 3.1, it says that we should obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath 
evidently, hath been evidently set forth, crucified among us. He's placing things in the trough, setting before their eyes, that's the language of the scripture here, just as Christ crucified should be set before our eyes. Now, to peel the rods is what he does there when we read that. He peels the rod, and that interesting, the word rod there is the word that is used as staff in Genesis 32.10, which we said before represented Christ. So to peel the rods and set them before the eyes of the sheep is to open up and reveal Christ in the exposition of the gospel. And so we see here that just as Christ is not set before the eyes of all men, Neither are the rods peeled and set before all the sheep, but just the ones chosen by Jacob. And consistent with what we read everywhere else in the Bible, we see separation. Jacob separates his sheep from Laban's sheep, and so it is with God. He separates his people, those that are his sheep, from the people of this world, until such time as he calls us home, and of course, and then we're eternally separated, but when he calls us home, we shall return with Christ to the heavenly promised land. And so in this upside down mess of a world, we counted a blessing that Christ stepped out of his glory and took on the form of the flesh, and by God's design was placed where? In a manger, which is a feeding trough, and he was placed there at birth, helping us to appreciate that we would feed upon him. He was born where? In Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Jesus Christ, we know, is the good shepherd prophesied of in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I'm going to read several verses there. In Ezekiel 34, I'll read 11 through 15. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 15. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. He's not searching for all the sheep. He's searching for, quote, my sheep. Verse 13. And I will bring them out from the people, separation here, and gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land, and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in the fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. So the Lord speaks about what things he will do for his sheep. He will go out, he will find his sheep, and he will gather them really unto himself, gather them unto Christ, who is alluded to by the mountain here, because that's where we rest. We rest in Christ, and we are fed in Christ. And over in verse 23, lest there be any question who this shepherd is, he says, And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. Now realize that David, King David has already come and gone. He's long since dead, so he's speaking about the son of David, which is Christ. He shall feed them, and he shall be their servant. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. So, is there a question who the shepherd is? 
Well, the Lord says it's him. Jesus comes and he says that it's me. I'm the one that's been it's talking about here. In John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Well, if he knows his sheep, he knows which ones belong to him. And when he goes out in the world through the preaching of the gospel, he'll make sure that every one of his sheep um, see Christ. He will open their eyes that they may see and um, feed upon him. In verse 4 of John 10, and his sheep know his voice and follow him. It's been given unto them to hear his voice. In verse 11 of John chapter 10, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He gives his life for his sheep that have gone astray in sin, sheep that have gone their own way in sin, which he refers to in Isaiah 53:6, where he says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. We have separated ourselves from God by our sin, and yet God sent forth his Son, Jesus Christ, who is God, to gather into one fold in Christ, to gather us into one fold in Christ unto himself. And this he did by laying upon him, laying upon Christ our shepherd, the iniquity of us all, all his sheep, which are typified by all of Jacob's sheep and not Laban's sheep. And because of our sin, we owe God a great debt, which we could never pay. So Christ, the good shepherd, laid down his life when he was crucified in our stead by which he paid our ransom to God. He paid our ransom, and that ransom he paid was his life. It was indeed a high price to pay. So Jacob, you will recall, he came from the promised land to paid in Aaron, which means their ransom is high. And we read that he served for 20 years ministering to the sheep, after which he returned to the promised land with the family and flocks he gained there. Now this, of course, speaks of what Christ has done for his family and flocks. He came from glory, died paying a high ransom, and rose from the dead and returned to glory where we shall forever be with him. Though we are positionally, which is to say spiritually, with him there now, we yet remain here until we will put off this tabernacle of our flesh. And while we are here, what does our good shepherd feed us that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? What does he who was placed in a feeding trough at birth feed us with? He feeds us of himself. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he bids all those who hunger and thirst after righteousness to come to him. We know in Jeremiah 23, 6 that he is our righteousness. It says that, that speaks that, that his name is our righteousness. And so those that come to him hungering and thirsting after righteousness will be filled if they eat of Christ. In John 6, 35 and verse 55 of John chapter 6, he identifies himself as the bread of life. And he shares with us that he is meat and drink indeed. He is meat and drink indeed. So in our text this morning, let us appreciate that it is all about Christ and it's all about the gospel, that Jacob in our play here, if I can use that language, that he's the shepherd and he represents Christ. 
The water represents the gospel, represents the wisdom of Christ, that has things that come out of the heart of Christ, and it is hid by a great stone which was placed there by God, and it is opened by Christ and drawn out by Christ and fed to us by Christ. The rods that are peeled and opened by the shepherd and set before the eyes of the sheep is Christ crucified. And so it was deemed good in God's sight. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And so we can appreciate as we open the scripture that if we understand things, that it is Christ himself who has revealed them to us and applied these truths to our hearts. And as we navigate this world, there's only one way to successfully do it, and that's to follow Christ, the good shepherd, and to feed on him, because in him do we rest and shall want not. Amen. Amen.